This is the Only in Miami show, sponsored by Morningside Mortgage Corporation of Bay Harbor Islands. Tonight's show is hosted by Grant Stern. Find out more about our sponsor at www.morningsidemortgage.com. That's www.morningsidemortgage.com. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter, at Grant Stern, and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co. iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. Well, if you're in the car, stay tuned tonight. Kick those shoes off and relax. We've got a great show planned for you. For starters, we've got Eliezer Melendez calling into the program he is a former journalist for the Daily Business Review and the Biz Journals. He is now a Florida Democratic Party operative, and he's got an incredible story to tell about somebody that you may be watching tonight on the Stephen Colbert show, because tonight is the return of the mooch. That's right. Anthony Scaramucci is going to be on Stephen Colbert, and we are going to be discussing the tweets that the mooch had to delete to work for Donald Trump for 10 days that Mr. Melendez exchanged and they were all about Russia. <laughs> so we're going to talk about that uh, and his conversations with the Mooch and also with what's going on in Miami-Dade County Democratic politics. It's going to be a great interview with Eleazar Melendez, so just stay tuned for that. Then at the end of the show, we've got Mark Simulian calling in. He is a candidate for Miami Beach District I think to uh, uh, city commission and Mark is going to call in at the end of the program. But this is the part of the show where I get to speak directly to, to the listening audience about issues of importance that impact us throughout Miami-Dade County and sometimes beyond. Unfortunately, this year's editorials and reporting have been dominated by the devastating problems impacting Miami Beach, one of the most high-profile cities not just in Miami-Dade County and not just in Florida, but in all of America. It's a small town, but it's got a big impact. And there's a political crisis going on in Miami Beach right now. Miami Beach Mayor Philip Levine has absconded his position both members of the police, members of the commission, member, uh, residents in the community all call him an absentee mayor. Mayor Levine is actually on the radio on Sirius right now, and he's busier traveling the state to schmooze with people on Sirius in his shadow campaign for governor than he is fixing the problems that impact Miami Beach, which echo out to the entire economy of South Florida. 
Because people, remember, that is a huge magnet for tourists. It is an international destination for the rich, the famous, the regular, the, the relaxing, and the, the poor sometimes, well, back in the old days anyway. Well, last week, I had a very unexpected surprise. And the worst part is, is that I wasn't looking for it. Mayor Philip Levine took nearly one quarter of a million dollars from a pair of Russian brothers who run a company called Access Enterprises or Access. Access has developed two very large projects. One is complete. The other is still in the approvals phase. One is called Faina. The other is called Ocean Terrace. They own a lot of the block in Miami Beach's historic Ocean Terrace neighborhood. That's the 73rd Street area. If you're familiar with the space, that's where the Miami Beach band shell is, which is an enormous public plaza. It's got the public library there, and it's got a historic neighborhood, Ocean Terrace. It's like a second Ocean Drive. If you look at Ocean Drive, all the buildings there, two, three, maybe four, five stories, is just like one high rise, and it's a small one. But in Ocean Terrace, they wanted to make it into a futuristic <clears throat> high-rise community of the future. Uh, sorry for giving you a double future there, but it's just so kind of weird um, to just upzone everything to the maximum. And, of course, to put it right there on the beach where it's going to draw a lot of traffic in an area that's already suffering from traffic congestion. Well, that didn't stop the mayor. The mayor took $225,000 from these Russian investors into his campaign. And what's really amazing about that, what's truly astounding about that, is that the mayor himself told me and a group of Democrats something very, very telling about what it means to take political money from bad actors. And I'm going to play it for you on the air here um, because it's, it's about a 45 second clip and it's just stunning in light of the fact that what we discovered is that Mayor Levine, not only did he take this money from developers with business in front of the city, but these are the very same developers, the very same people who inspired the city of Miami beach to create a new law restricting that kind of activity when Mayor Levine created Relentless for Progress, the RFP PAC. Take a listen to what Mayor Levine says about big money donors. People like, you know, Adam Putnam, like, you know, who I, I call him like sugar daddy, he's gone away from the sugar industry from FPNL. It's like, you're not gonna get that because he who pays the piper picks the tunes. That's how it works, okay? So, for example, in my PAC right now, you know, I started this pack called All About Florida. I got this one big schmuck to put in two million bucks. His name is Philip Levine. The guy didn't ask any questions, just put in two million dollars, didn't even care. Didn't, but you know what? Until I understand and feel where I want to go with this, I'm going to put my own skin in the game. I'm fortunate enough, I made it all here, and if I want to spend it all here, I'm going to do that. To do what's right this well, he got the part about a schmuck do donating to his campaign dead right. I'll give him credit. That's honesty. Philip Levine is a schmuck. He's a schmuck, and he admits it. 
You just heard it on these airwaves. That's his own words. Two months after that meeting, he took that money from these Russian developers. And you know who else those Russian developers donate to? Marco Rubio, the Florida senator, who's notorious for lying. Scott Walker, the hard-right Wisconsin governor who flamed out in his presidential campaign. Senator Mitch McConnell, the head of the right-wing rebellion in the Senate that stole a Supreme Court justice. Mayor Levine is dancing to the tune of somebody giving $7 million to those Republicans and to Donald Trump in the last election cycle. And if you heard him on Fox News Radio last week, Mayor Levine said he thinks the president is doing a good job. So there you have it. Pay for play, courtesy of Mayor Levine. If you want to find out more, go to thesternfacts.com. That's thesternfacts.com. The Miami New Times reported on the story I published there. It's right there. You can find it. Uh, it's all about Mayor Levine and his Russian money connection. And you know what's even worse? He went on National Geographic saying he is the, the climate change expert, and there he is taking dirty Russian oil money from Putin. From Putin. And I'm not making this up because I have a copy of the wire transfer right there in the story. People, this is wrong. Miami Beach needs reform. We're going to talk with one of the commission candidates later, one of the reformers, uh, and I hope you'll stay tuned. We have an outstanding show planned for you tonight. And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co. iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we are back on the line with Elizar Melendez live. Elizar, thank you so much for calling into the program tonight. 
Always a pleasure to be there, Grant. Um, sorry that I couldn't be there. I'm actually on uh, on the car getting there, but you know Miami traffic. So I I know it you. all I too well. If there's one thing we talk about on this uh, program, it is traffic. So tell our audience what you're doing with the Democratic <laughs> Party, because you have a new gig and you're all over town these days working hard. Let, tell our audience a little bit about that. Absolutely. Thank you, Grant. Um, I'm working with the County Democratic Party at the moment. Um, started my job about two, uh, almost three months ago. And uh, basically, I'm the political director, which is a very interesting and, and important role in the, in the party. I've been meeting with a lot of the activists that we have right now. Uh, and there are many. Very, very, and they're very fired up. You know, ever since uh, the election, I think people had a, a, maybe a two or three week period where everyone was mourning and very sad of the direction that our country was taking. And immediately in the lead up to the inauguration, people said, no, we're not just going to mope. We're going to do something about it. So people have come out of the woodworks. Activists that have been there for a long time, people that are joining our uh, geographic clubs to really like be involved in what we're doing. Um, and I've been working a lot with the various activists to get initiatives that are planned to be local and really be effective, as well as working with elected officials and, of course, our campaigns to get more Democrats in power and make sure that we're taking back this country at every level. Well, it's a big task. Uh, how do you get out there and coordinate 2.4 million people? I guess 500,000 of them or so are registered Democrats, right? Yeah, yes, it's a very large number of Democrats that are registered in the county. Unfortunately, not a lot of them are as involved in, as, as we would want them to be. Um, and then we need them to be really to be able to uh, affect the change that we want to see. We have something like almost 900 precincts in this um, county, which each of them could theoretically have people who are activists, who are precinct captains, who are mobilizing Democrats and getting the message of what we need to do to change this country. And, and we have a lot of spots that aren't filled out. We have, uh, you know, just a little under 300 of actual precinct Democrats that we have in the county right now. So um, we, we're trying to make that work and we're trying to make sure that we get people in there and get them active and give them a toolbox of, you know, communications and things that are happening at every level. And then that we connect them with our elected officials so that they see that their actions are having, are having results. It's one step at a time. I mean, any, any time where you have a big journey in front of, in front of you, it's, it's always going to be one step at a time. And we are in this position right now where Democrats are a true opposition party. We're out of power and we are looking to regain it, but we're looking to regain it in a way that actually sets for the future of when we are in government, like what that means. Well, you know, uh, one thing that I like that the county party did, and maybe you can talk about this a little bit, is that the county party passed a resolution that none of the Democrats from this county should take money from Big Sugar or FPL, right? Yes, that's uh, that's being worked on. It's actually uh, they, they presented oh, so the resolution, still coming. and it's I still believe coming it's coming along. Back. Yeah, it's coming at the next meeting. Correct. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, let's right talk now, about why that's important because you know one of the things that that we see a lot in politics is big money donors uh, picking the tune. I think that's what schmucks like Philip Levine say. I'm just using his own words here. You hear me there? Are you still yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, you yeah. must have broken up a little. Uh, you know, uh, the uh, the the people that take the big bucks, like uh, Miami Beach's mayor, 
Um, he says that the big dollar donors pick the tune. They, they pay the piper, so they pick the tune. So how can we help our Democratic candidates so that they don't have to, you know, call in pipe, uh, people from Russia to pay their pipers or Britain or whatever? <laughs> That's a, that's a lot of that's a lot to unpackage there, but I'll start with this. I think that the fact that we even have a party that is considering and passing resolutions on these significant policy issues that are important to progressives and are important to Democrats and to the future of this country is, is a huge jump to where uh, this party has been in the past. And it shows the level and engagement of the activists that we have right now. I mean, look, we have people that are participating in our party by knocking on doors by getting their neighbors excited, by going on TV and radio and passing the message of what it is that Democrats stand for. And then we have people like the folks in the campaign finance reform committee that came up with this resolution you're talking about that are saying, look, I care about this issue, and I think that Democrats should care about this issue too. And I don't have to be in Congress, and I don't have to be an elected official to to make something happen with that. I can work with those people, but I'm going to start at the most basic level of working with my neighbors in a local party. And that's what happened. Uh, you know, the um, the people that are in this committee is being led by Doc Solomon, who's, um, you know, one of our candidates also for state house in the 2018 cycle. And he just passionately cares about this issue and is bringing people together to say, look, this is how we should um, stand and this is what we should believe in and this is what we should tell the world that, that we're doing. It's very exciting to do it from the perspective of the Miami-Dade County Party because we are the largest DC, which means we can be an example to other counties, other to the state party, and from there to the country as to how to really take this grassroots activism and make it happen. But more importantly, it gives us space, right? It gives us space for everyone to participate, whether they want to be these intellectual, um, you know, like policy advocates, or whether they're or talking to their neighbors or being social and, and making the party more of a activist social community, there's, there's a space right now for everyone to participate. And that's just personally very exciting for me to see, uh, that as a party, we have a spot that if you want to do something, all you need to say is put me in, coach, and we have a job for you that'll make, you know, make a stake back in this country. So let's talk about the big race that's happening. Uh, there's two of them. Uh, one is happening in the state Senate. And one is in the state house. Um, let's start with the state house race. Um, tell us about the candidates and what's going on in that race because it's uh, House District One Sixteen, right? Correct. The that Democratic candidate is yes. House District One Sixteen is a district that extends. Uh, it's a it's a fairly long district as most of our state house districts are. It extends all the way from the south tip of Doral goes through Fountain Blue, um, you know, the area around 36th Street and the... And the Certainly, it's very close there. to the studio, yep. Correct, and then goes, um, uh, you know, the area around FIU and a little bit of the community that, around there is a That lot would of be Coral Park. Right. That's, uh, yeah. It goes down into the, uh, the area of Westchester a, a little bit and then keeps going down to the point where it hits a little bit of Kenton. So we we call that area we, we call that area Wechete there. Wechete. Yeah. That, that, that's La Sawasera. La Sawasera. So uh, you know it's very diverse. There's areas that are fairly 
Democratic. There's areas that are not so much. Uh, the district was won by Hillary, um, I believe. I, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but it was close to 50 two percent that uh, that she got um so she won she won the the district overall and you know we have obviously we, we we're not there's not there's more republicans than democrats in that area but we certainly have a lot of independents who are seeing what is happening to this country who um are hispanic for the most part and see you know the racism and whistle uh you know the dog whistling coming out of the white house and understand that this can't be good for them, even if they consider themselves themselves aligned to Republicans on on other issues. That this really, really can't be good for them, and that it's it's becoming something at the state level. Um, we had um, a um, you know issues with sanctuary cities that were taken up in the legislature this past uh, session that would be terrifying and really really disruptive to communities if they were enacted into law. Well, you know, the big issue, the biggest issue, um, and this is really upsetting uh, when it comes to this, this sanctuary cities fight, is that, you see, the 10th Amendment is part of our Constitution, and it's one of the greatest checks on federal power there is. And what it basically says is that the federal government cannot tell state governments or their agents or local governments what to do. You can't just say... I'm the president, and I'm telling your city of Miami police officer what to do. But this would break the wall between the 10th Amendment and immigration enforcement in the state of Florida, wouldn't it? It would kind of just erase it. Um, sure. At the local, when you're talking about federal statute, federal orders, executive orders, federal law, kind of reaching down to that level where it's affecting the actions and the policies of municipalities as we as, as we saw with uh, you know the fight over sanctuary cities with Jimenez you're absolutely correct this is even worse though because this would be the state actually the position if the legislature goes in a certain place and that um, you know there can be lawsuits as to whether the state is entitled to do that uh, under their under their authority or whether they're usurping a federal power but it, it's bad nonetheless and it, it indicates that our legislators, including some some Hispanic legislators, a lot of uh, legislators who, whose families, um, you know, are immigrants or who should be a lot more sympathetic to this topic if they weren't just acting as a tool of Donald Trump's rule, um, are, are just taking a side that's going to be terrible for our community. Well, I mean, Ro uh, Robot Rubio is a perfect example of that. He, His grandfather was in the United States, went back to Cuba to serve Castro, then came here illegally and waited until there was a general amnesty. That w that's the story of Marco Rubio's grandfather. His parents came here before the revolution, but uh, they weren't exiles. His father, wa his grandfather, wasn't in exile either. Um, his grandfather I mean, went I'm back. Not, I'm not. It's really hard for me to understand how um, you know Hispanic Republicans can abide by an administration and a general policy making that is clearly racist and doesn't really deliver on any of the values or promises that allowed them to be where they are at the moment. But you know what? Unfortunately, we, we live in a country where sometimes people who have climbed the ladder decide to pull the ladder up from behind them. And 
you know, that's not what we're all about. I think that's a that's a that's a longstanding value of the Democratic Party. We don't pull the ladder up from behind us when we get up there. We help you. We extend a hand and make sure that you know you can share the American dream the same way we did. So. Well, I'll tell you what, Elizar, uh, tell our audience where they can find you on Twitter, and we're going to take a very short break, and we'll be back, right? So just w- w- give us your Twitter handle. Absolutely. It's at Eliezer, E-L-E-A-Z-A-R, Melendez, M-E-L-E-N-D-E-Z. And I think I'm going to be in the studio. I think I'm pulling into your parking lot. So Alrighty. hopefully I'll find all better. Come on in, and we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show.
Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co. iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we are back live. LSR Melendez is on his way into the studio right now as we speak. I mean, literally coming upstairs. So I'm going to read you a tweet chain because... This was one of the chains deleted by Anthony Scaramucci, the mooch, the crazy guy who basically sold his uh, being at the birth of his child, his marriage and his mind to Donald Trump for 10 days of glorious, glorious interaction with the press as perhaps the worst communications director in the history of talking. So... (laughs) This was in 2013 um, after uh, Mitt Romney lost the general election to Barack Obama and the Mooch was a big Romney guy. So the Mooch tweeted, this is August 2013, he tweeted, Last year a true statesman, Mitt Romney, said that Russia was a legitimate threat to our interests. Anyone questioning that now? It was a fair game thing to say, but, uh, you know, he just went and worked for like Russia's top agent in the whole world, like the guy that can't criticize Putin. So Eleazar replied, and you could still see this because he didn't delete it. I bet Scaramucci would have a totally different view if the person seeking shelter from prosecution by going to Russia was his buddy Steve. Well, Elazar is going to be up here in a second and tell us who Steve is. But he, uh, the Mooch replied, Cowards flee. Real people fight the charges. Snowden is a traitor. A2? I mean, this is a big deal. He went and worked in the White House for the guy who benefited from WikiLeaks. And WikiLeaks grew to prominence, partly with Chelsea Manning, but especially after the Snowden incident. Which... Many people in the United States from the intelligence community say was straight up the recruitment of a spy. Um, Snowden just didn't, maybe he didn't understand, maybe he was uh, idealistic, but uh, that's, you know, WikiLeaks is not a news agency. They're pretty much controlled by Russia. They're, They're served from Russia at this point. So Elzar replied, by that reasoning, every political refugee ever has been a coward. Lots of Russians, Cubans, Vietnamese, glad to know. So the Mooch wrote back, he broke the law, went against his country, and consorts with the enemy. It makes him a treasonous coward. But um, boom. I mean, this guy went and worked for Donald Trump. I mean, we're talking about somebody who, whose entire family, I'm sorry, entire campaign staff, his top three people in his campaign, all met with a Russian agent together. And that's what he was saying three years ago, four years ago. So Elazar replied, wow, Russia went from threat to interests to enemy in three tweets. A few more RTs and they'll be evil incarnate. The Mooch replied, evil empire. That is the appropriate term. That's pretty ridiculous. Okay, pretty, pretty ridiculous. Elazar, thank you so much for making it into the studio. Love it. Always good to be with you, friend. 
Always, man. Always. It's been too long. <laughs> so let's talk about this. I just read all of the, the, the tweets between you and the Mooch. How did you wind up linking up with Anthony Scaramucci uh, in 2013? Sure. Remember that the Mooch, as he loves to call himself someone unironically. <laughs> must have uh, must have taken that from some kind of audition tape for Jersey Shore or some kind of <laughs> other situation <laughs> where he felt that that was probably appropriate. Um, he was made his life as a marketeer in the financial industry. Right. He's not doing anything. He's just selling correct a product. More than that, he is selling his own brand of getting you into the product. He works, and this is really important and interesting for people to understand. His company was a fund of funds, okay? Right. Um, it's an interesting concept in Wall Street where you have hedge funds, right? And people have heard of hedge funds. And the, the mystique that hedge funds create is that it's where all the really smart people go and put their money so that they can make billions because they know something that other people don't. In reality, that's normally not the case. Um, well, you know, hedge funds, like any other investment vehicle, some do well and some don't. Right. Particularly, though, in the historical moment where we are right now with so much liquidity, you have a lot of hedge funds where... They're not doing so well. They're not doing great. And it's by the, it's, it's almost not by the sign, but it's by the way they're structured. You have hedge funds that have well, billions they, of dollars in there. And the only way you can have billions of dollars is if you take money from, like, you know, the Dubai and the Saudi, for um, you know, uh, sovereign investment funds and so on and so forth. Those people are actually going to be a little bit conservative in the way they invest. They don't want you putting money in some kind of crazy three-level three aggregate bet on futures of oil and, and so on and so forth. So you have all of these huge funds where people invest with a lot of money. And right. then Scaramucci's kind of niche in the market was selling to people, look, I got this awesome fund. It only takes money. It only, it, it got, it's got a $2 million buying for you to get in there. Only the Saudis get to buy in there. Isn't that amazing? Don't you want to like be yeah, there? But actually, the see, that was like a standard thing. Like you had to have a $2 million net worth to get into a hedge fund. Now it's like, you know, he's selling to like doctors, right? And dentists and stuff like that. Right. You had to have a $2 million buy-in. You had to put $2 million on the table to get in there. So what his company did quite effectively is Oh, that and let me mention- the, something that most people don't know about hedge funds, um, they have what's called a lockout. So, like, once you put the money in, you can't go back and get your money. Sometimes for years. It's it's for the big boys. You don't want to. You don't want to mess boys. with it, it unless you know what they're doing. Investors. So the way that he was doing it is he was marketing this idea that look, if the Saudis have access to it and if the oligarchs have access to it, it must be the best thing in the block. Of it's course. It's the oldest trick in the book. It's basically pointing at the fat line coming out of the theater and saying it must be a great movie because everyone's lining up to see it. Right. And then he took guys that basically were like, oh yeah, but I only have like $50,000 or $100,000. And he's like, don't worry about it. I'll put you in with 20 other guys that have $100,000. Right. And then it'll be the $2 million buy-in and you'll be there. But these guys didn't really do that well. They would have done a lot better <laughs> by just buying like... Well, they could have just bought an index fund. Correct. Every, right. Like a diamond fund or index fund. It's every stock on the S&P 500, they would have done three times as better with or maybe, a I tenth mean, of the fees. There's huge fees. That's the thing. The fees are big because he's a middleman, right? So he's taking a fee and then he's selling you off to a hedge fund and they're taking a fee. Correct. I, look, I explained this and, and it's it, it pretty funny and, and fortunate that it happened. The second that he was appointed to his position, I, I started telling my friends about this guy who I had interacted with and who I had seen him coming up through the years. 
the closest thing that you can compare this man is someone who was like the small town CPA who really marketed himself real hard, kind of Saul Goodman style, like with American flags and fireworks and all kinds of stuff, and 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 got into people's heads because he had the crazy ads on public access television or the fireworks show every 4th of July that everyone knew about, and, and that's why you took your business to him, right? He did the same thing on a Wall Street scale. He has this thing called the, the Salt Conference, right? Right. Which he created a few years back, which is basically this extravagant, conference that imitates the wall street life that you see in the movies from like you know uh, now let me let me add here that anthony scaramucci paid paid a hundred thousand dollars to place skybridge capital his company into the movie the wolf of wall street of course he, did. <laughs> he wanted to market himself as did. excess of course it is. I mean, because, and, and it's a fascinating concept that when I was working as a Wall Street reporter, which was actually my first interactions with the Mooch, so, uh, I, like, um, you know, he, there's a lot of people. It's, it's a fascinating concept. I don't know if you know the book, the book Liar's Poker. Uh, uh, yes, I do. It's a classic of financial writing. It's a book that was written by the author to basically, Michael Lewis, yeah. by Michael Lewis to excoriate this insane he wrote, he wrote The Big Short. Right. Oh, I mean, I, I'm a very big fan of Michael Lewis. So if you know the history of that book, he wrote it actually because he had worked in there and he kind of wanted it to He worked for Solomon Brothers. And he, that is where the mortgage-backed security market, uh, We could, I could talk about this all day. So wait a second. Let's, nerding out over here. <laughs> yeah, totally. So, so let's talk about the mooch here because you actually talked to this guy on the phone, right? Right, right. How did that all go down? Because, I mean, those tweets are really funny. He deleted all those tweets, right? All the ones I saying Russia is recently, evil. Recently, but I, I, but I, I, I checked. I checked, thought it yeah. all went away. I mean, I found I it must yours. have been after he got hired and decided that he was yeah. going to purge his, his record. He did of have course. a fairly active social media. You know, it's it's kind of interesting. He went the inverse of Trump in many ways, whereas Trump was this kind of hack night Peter Peter Barnum salesman in the real world, and then became the world's most successful Twitter troll. He went the opposite way. He went from being a really successful Twitter troll to turning that into a profit, uh, which is an interesting business model in, in our in our doggy dog world of 2017. But, um, you know, what's interesting here is to talk about what I was saying about the uh, liar's poker, you know, Michael Lewis wrote that book and he wanted it to be a warning sign against people who were reading that like when they were in college, like going to law, you know, going to government. And as always, they saw it as like the, the goal. Correct. People thought it was like a, like a user's manual for how to get ahead in Wall Street. And right. that is the world that Scaramucci is trying to tap into. Well, you know, to, to really punch that up, and this is too funny. It's so true. You couldn't make this up. Uh, Scaramucci wrote a, a book Goodbye, Gordon Gecko. How to find your fortune without losing your soul. <laughs> this is a man who got divorced, who got <laughs> divorced, missed the birth of his child to go watch a Nazi presidential rally for, you know, Boy Scouts. Uh, you know, deleted all of his tweets. What else did he do? I mean, he said that Steve Bannon uh, is a contortionist. Uh, 
know? <laughs> Among other things, look, he, he was trying to get into the White House for about six months. Um, he the, the reports, which obviously are kind of hearsay, because we'll know eventually if this is true or not, is that Priebus blocked him. Um, and eventually, for some reason, he, you know, Trump must have seen him on TV on a particularly good day in Fox and Friends and said, that's the guy I want. Um, but, you know, it's interesting. Well, you know, you know what I think it was? And I read about this, actually. This is, this is some craziness. And it's kind of sad. Um, I read that because CNN wrote a story that turned out to be incorrect, that's why they wanted him, because... Maybe he was somehow lucky enough to be bulletproof or something. Right. He, he was able to somehow finagle a correction outside of CNN, so Trump thought that he could do it every day and make CNN to... He was the magic man. He, he was able to do it. So uh, let, let's explain briefly for our audience here, because we want to get uh, Mark Simulian onto the line in a minute here, because we got to hear from him. Absolutely. Miami Beach has been critical lately. I mean, every rainstorm seems like a tragedy. So... so uh, <laughs> Uh, let's explain, just explain for our audience this whole on-the-record, off-the-record thing that the Mooch didn't quite get. Because, you know, basically, the White House communication director's entire job is just to tell the people in the White House who are communicating with all the reporters what's on the record, what's off the record, who to tell it to, and when. So what, how did he mess up there with this long conversation with the New Yorker? Sure, what's kind of hilarious is that uh, there was a memo that leaked after he was fired where he described <laughs> the job as he saw it. And it was like kind of 90% accurate. He, he, he actually, at least on paper, wrote, a, wrote an okay description of the job of a communications director. And, and one point when he really nailed it is that when you're the communications director, you see the administration as a show, like a daily newscast or, right. or, or, or ep with episodes. And every time you want to have a storyline that, it has a cliffhanger or some resolution, and you, you plan that out so that you control the news cycle. He understood that. And just like in producing a real show, there's things that go on the air and things that go for the next episode and things that you kind of tell your actors to act in a certain way. And that's a kind of on the record, off the record. You have relationships right. with reporters where you're like kind of like nudging them a certain way by the way that you, you give them information. And then you have what you actually say. So, Elazar, give our audience one more time uh, your Twitter account, so if they'd like to take the conversation online after the show, they can catch up with you. Absolutely. It's at E-L-E-A-Z-A-R Melendez, M-E-L-E-N-D-E-Z. And I'll, I'll post the exchange with Scaramucci, so people have it right up at the top. Okay, that sounds great. Well, Elzar, thank you so much for joining me on the program, and we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show.
Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co, iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we are back live with Mark Simulian. He is a candidate for Miami Beach City Commission. Mark, thank you so much for joining me on the program tonight. Always a pleasure, Grant. Delighted to speak with you and uh, connect with your viewers and listeners. So, Mark, uh, let's talk about some of the issues that are impacting Miami Beach. Namely, uh, there was a big problem with the pumps, uh, who, uh, which the current uh, administration installed to pump the water off of the streets of Miami Beach. They failed uh, in a rather large rain. Um, what happened? What, what's going on? Well, Miami Beach has got some real critical issues related to flooding and and sea level rise, and the city has been moving aggressively. Clearly, this recent incident has has raised some important questions. What happened, just to step back for a second, is that we did get significant rainfall, and that the pumps, uh, the project I understand is only about 15% complete. In a couple instances, the pumps did not have backup power. So when the power went out, the pumps were not able to, to function. And so uh, the combination of the heavy rainfall and the power outage in a couple caused a major, major problem. I think that this is an important issue, uh, Grant, and it is seriously uh, raised some concerns in the community. And it's, it's time we're going to have to address it. And uh, as someone who has a background as an engineer, uh, I feel I can be helpful on this very important issue. Yeah, it is definitely a high-profile issue, especially in wake of last week's monsoon. Um, but there's other issues in the city of Miami Beach. What are your constituents, the folks you're knocking on the doors and speaking with, what are they bringing up as their concerns? Yep. I think flooding, especially the recency of the effect, is extremely top of mind and a very important one. Uh, traffic is a great concern on the beach. Uh, there has been, you know, that has always been an issue. I will say in the last few years it's become increasingly important. And I think there are also some concerns as it relates to public safety. Uh, I think some of the issues we've had, uh, particularly as it relates in the entertainment area, has caused uh, some people to, you know, want to take a hard look and see what we can do. If there's anything that government should do, job one for local government is public safety, and that's something I'm going to make a very important priority come November. Right, I agree. I mean, basic services are just extremely important, more important than fancy events or college football games, or air shows. It, those are just kind of bread and circuses. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, <laughs> you know, um, I don't know what else to call it, really. <laughs> um, <laughs> what are some of the other issues facing Miami Beach? For example, um, development issues. Are there any development issues that people are discussing? Sure, that is always an important um uh, issue is, is, you know, we want to make sure we have smart development, which balances, you know, the positive elements that the development brings, but also make sure we have uh, the supporting infrastructure, uh, specifically as it relates to traffic, and make sure that we strike the, the right balance. I would say a couple others that I would just put on the table. I think we have to look at the financial health of our city and make sure that we are on 
strong financial position. You know, we have a general operating budget now over $300 million. Uh, that budget has been growing the last few years, I believe, in, in the 5 to 7% range. Uh, so I think that's something that people, in, you know, related to the flooding, want to make sure we have the funding in place longer term. I also think as you talk about um, basic services, that there's an opportunity for us to, you know, raise the bar at City Hall, improve our effectiveness at delivering, listening to our residents, listening to our business community, and making sure that we are delivering for the entire community in the most effective and efficient way. And then just a personal uh, issue that I'd also add that I think is extremely important to any community, and that's education. Well, education is the primary responsibility of the school board. Uh, Miami Beach right, that's a county issue, active. yeah. Exactly. But Miami Beach has always been active in terms of making sure that our schools are, are uh, getting the, the best support from, from the school board that they can and supplementing. So those are a few other top-of-mind priorities. Okay. Well, I'd like to speak about one issue that's really bedeviled the city, and um you know, it's something that the commission hasn't really addressed, even though it's been happening for the better part of a year now. Um, sometime around this time last year, uh, a man in Syracuse, New York, obtained banking information for the city of Miami Beach and managed to siphon out from the city's accounts $3.6 million um, and use that to buy a lot of very expensive sporting tickets and all sorts of fun things. Uh, but it took about four months or five months or six months to catch him because the city lacked internal controls. And I know that accounting is not exciting, and I don't want to talk about it for five minutes. We only got about five minutes left. But uh, okay. is there a p proposal you think needs to be done, something to change this problem that the city has of losing millions of dollars from accounts that hold hundreds of millions of dollars of tax money? Yeah, well, clearly uh, that was a major, major problem, a major issue, and that we need to treat public uh, public funds as, as, as sacred, and to have that happen is clearly an embarrassment. What the city did do was they brought in some outside uh, experts to take a look at our processes. Uh, we can never have anything like this happen again, so I'd like to see that, A, we get the money back because we owe it to our taxpayers, and B, that the recommendations of the outside consultants they brought in are successfully implemented. So uh, those would be my, my thoughts, but it's a very important issue to the residents of Miami Beach. I mean, that's the thing. You know, it really got ridiculous. They're, they were busy planning air and sea shows and sporting events, and the money is getting stolen. The police are struggling. The, it's like the chief, the mayor, and the union for the police officers are all at each other's throats. Um, well, one one thing I would just say uh, is that we need to bring a greater degree of consensus and uh, civility to, to uh, the way we're, we're operating. Uh, one of my things is you can uh, disagree while not being disagreeable. And so I think that's something on the dais that we would like to, to do, and it's something that, you know, I think my background and style lend itself to. So there is something, there is something that I wrote about last week, and, you know, I got to tell you, um, there's follow-ups coming, and none of them get prettier 
uh, you know, especially when you write about something crazy. Um, but I wrote a story that Mayor Levine has decided to accept money for his pack from a ma- major developer, and not just any developer, but the developer who created the or, or donated to the Relentless for Progress pack, a pack so dubious it caused the city to change its own laws to forbid forever commissioners accepting donations from real estate developers who have business at City Hall. And of course, recently, as we all know, the Miami Herald investigation, um, you know, a Miami Herald investigation targeted one of your opponents in the race who was not your opponent in the race until uh, it was revealed that he was in trouble with PACs and PAC money. What is your position on campaign finance in the city of Miami Beach? Because I know it's difficult to run an election race. It's time consuming. It's all consuming. It takes money. Um, Not everybody is wealthy and can you know, do what Mayor Levine did, which is just give himself $2 million and brag about it. Um, But what do you think needs to be done further? Because now we see these beach officials and they're taking, you know, there's so many beach finance scandals going on. Um, How do you think that the beach can improve its governance and improve its campaign finance situation? Yeah, great, great question. And just to step back for a second, if you look at the root cause of the problem here, it's that every parcel on Miami Beach, every, you know, airspace rights is so valuable. It's such a precious asset. And so there's so much money to be made that there are incredible outside forces from special interest. And this is something that really puts a premium on having strong campaign finance strong ethics rules, and very highly ethical folks at the helm, because this is just quite the challenge that we have. So I believe that the beach needs to continue to enhance and strengthen its campaign finance rules. Uh, I will make that a a big priority. I don't want to talk much about my uh, opponent's situation. As, as, As you well know, he's under criminal investigation, but it clearly serious questions uh, need to be answered, and, and clear, clearly, uh, I can tell you this is a major concern for, for voters. Grant, can I? Can yeah, I we, we've still got Elazar here. You got a question for Mark? Sure. Mark, how are you? This is Eliasar Melendez. Um, I'm, Hi there. I'm a little surprised to speak, to hear you talk about civility, given the tone that your campaign has taken in the past few weeks. And honestly, you know, the topic of sea level rise, how you're taking it, doesn't really show your previous political donations and activism. I'm a little surprised at the tone you're taking on this. What do you mean the tone with respect to what? I'm not sure I understand the question. I mean, your campaign has been pretty nasty in the past few weeks, and you're coming in the radio to talk about how on the days you want to be civil. So is it going to be nasty yeah. till the end, and then it's going to be all right? Well, I would say um, I, I would sort of take issue with your characterization of our campaign. We've run a quite positive message telling our positive story about where, how we're going to hire and help Miami Beach. Now, in terms of things that you may consider to be negative, I think all we're doing, frankly, is public information about things that have been in the printed record. So I don't view it as negative to share information that has been reported by multiple sources. And, you know, that is actually what I write about all the time. Mark, thank you so much for joining me on the program. I really appreciate it. 
I do. I do appreciate the opportunity, Grant. And if I may, for your viewers who want to learn more about us, please go to our website. That's MarkSamuelin.com, M-A-R-K-S-A-M-U-E-L-I-A-N.com, and then also find us on Facebook. Grant, thank you so much for the opportunity. My pleasure, Mark. And Elazar, thank you so much for making it onto the program tonight. We'll be back next Monday night. This is the Only in Miami show. I've got no love.